Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, guy who talks about movies that he's already talked about and other movies from 1987 that he hasn't talked about. So let's talk about movies. Let's talk about movies. That's specifically uh, from 1987, Josh. Indeed. We've talked about a lot of movies from 1987. I think this may be with our little extra holiday bonuses that we added the longest season we've actually done thus far. But still, there are so many other great and interesting movies from 1987 that we did not talk about. As always, we take a look back at our various episodes and categories and other films that we could have talked about or that are connected to those categories, notable movies from the year, some suggestions from our listeners on social media, which we always very much appreciate, and uh, maybe some other follow-ups on things that we mentioned that we would follow up on if we remember that we mentioned that at all. Josh, it's the holiday season. We stuffed 1987 like a turkey. We jammed our fists up 1987's keister and just put all types of movies in there yeah that is an accurate representation of what we did (laughs) Um, we began the season with the box office champion which i think we were all surprised was three men and a baby some of the other major movies at the box office in the top 10 were uh fatal attraction beverly hills cop 2 of course we did an episode on beverly hills cop in a previous season, uh, 1984, I believe was yep. that was when That's it was. Right. Yeah. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam, Moonstruck, which we did talk about this season, The Untouchables, The Secret of My Success, Stakeout, Lethal Weapon, which was one of our audience choice options, and The Witches of Eastwick. And uh, impressive, there's one sequel in that list, and otherwise all original films, and not the kind of thing that would ever happen anymore. I know it's wild what happens when you make uh, original movies that lead to sequels because they're original content. Yeah, a bunch of those did. Uh, actually, only only a, I think only maybe two of those that actually led to sequels. I mean, three if you count Beverly Hills Cop two that was already a sequel. But uh, some of those just standalone films that people went to see and they liked. I was sort of surprised that the secret of my success was that successful and just shows you how big a star Michael J. Fox was at that time, I think. That might have been the secret to its own success. I think so, because it's certainly not a movie that we really remember now. Josh, not a sequel, but uh, as you know, they they made like a Fatal Attraction limited series this past year, correct? They did, which I think was a failure and uh, possibly is one of those shows that was already removed from the streaming service. (laughs) I don't know, maybe not that, but it definitely did not take off the way that they hoped that it would. Uh, No one was attracted to it fatally or otherwise. No, not at all. Uh, But we talked about how Three Men and a Baby was the box office champion, some anomaly that will never happen again. Right. That did also lead to a a sequel. So, you know, there was a weird franchise involved with that, as we talked about as well. (sighs) And obviously they're talking about reboots, as we mentioned, but that uh, sequel is rough. It is quite bad. Even our guest James Orr mentioned how rough it was and why it didn't work, which I thought was good insight for how to ruin a successful film. Yeah. And thanks again to James Orr, the screenwriter of Three Men and a Baby, for joining us. We had a couple 
of uh, cool guests on with us this season, which we always appreciate that. I, um, you know, we need that insight, Josh, because we're dummies. We are. That's really the concept here. Dummies <laughs> talk movies. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of movies, Josh, there were so many choices for our first feature episode, which we chose, of course, Chris Columbus's Adventures in Babysitting. Josh, huge Chris Columbus fan, which we appreciate. <laughs> Uh, Allison Anders, uh, Border Radio. She's an interesting filmmaker who I think kind of got lost in that shuffle of being a woman in a, in a, in the film industry, which is really unfair, but she's made some interesting films. Bill Condon, mixed results with him, Sister, Sister. I think Robert Townsend Hollywood Shuffle would have been a great one because he basically financed that film on his credit card and built his career off of it. So that's a real independent film there. Of course, uh, David Mamet, House of Games, is a classic film, and Mamet's a major figure. Um, We've talked about Peter Jackson before. Uh, Dave demands it. If we want him to produce this series, we have to talk about Peter Jackson once every three episodes. So we left Bad Taste (laughs) off. And uh, John Stockwell, another cool filmmaker, Undercover. Yeah, uh, a couple others or a few others in there. Uh, Zhang Yimou's film, Red Sorghum, and you know, one of the m- most well-known filmmakers in, in the Chinese film industry. Uh, Greg Araki, his first film, Three Bewildered People in the Night, which I'm not familiar with at all. And uh, Danny DeVito's Throw Mama from the Train. And as you said, I'm not exactly a Chris Columbus fan. And, and my argument, if you listen to that episode, was that he really isn't a major filmmaker. I was kind of pushing either for that Robert Townsend film, Hollywood Shuffle, which I haven't seen and I would like to, or David Mamet's House of Games, even though I really dislike David Mamet, but I think he's maybe more of a significant figure. But uh, I'm happy not to have to watch another David Mamet. Yeah, I I mean, we've both seen House of Games. I've seen Hollywood Shuffle. I'd rewatch both those films. Yeah. For our flop episode, we really had no other options other than Ishtar, because like when we talked about Heaven's Gate, it's one of the most famous flops of all time. You really can't pick anything else. I think I mentioned also Leonard Part 6, the infamous Bill Cosby movie, but best that we don't talk about Bill Cosby, probably. Uh, You know, we always try to separate the person from the art, so uh, if and when we get around to like Uptown Saturday Night or something like that, it will be uh, discussed in those regards. But uh, Ishtar, I think what we did was really dissect a lot of the places it went wrong. And later in the season, when we got to the Best Picture winner, The Last Emperor, and we saw Vittorio Storaro's work in that, we see all the misses that um, was, were made by not letting him kind of dictate the way that Ishtar was shot. Yeah, I mean, Ishtar has has been reevaluated pretty significantly, but I at least was not on board with that reevaluation. But I'm glad that I saw it because it's one of those notorious films that I feel like it's, you want to experience it and not just be aware of it by reputation. And perhaps Dave and I have a uh, a future as an Ishtar cover band. If you listen to that episode, our musicality was top notch there. However, I have to bring up the fact, Jason, that the lyrics to the uh, song in that film that you guys were singing that uh, I corrected you on and you insisted I was wrong and I trusted you because you had prepared that whole musical number, but I was in fact right about the lyrics to that song. You were, Josh, but um, as you know, as an artist, I just interpret whatever. I'm a vessel, Josh. Whatever comes to me, I just let out in the most artistic fashion and that's what came to me that day. 
Yeah, mm. no, no, that that is, I suppose I can't argue with that, but I do want to make sure that everyone knows that I was correct because that's <laughs> the most important thing here. Josh, you know who is a vessel, perhaps of God, the lead character in the Khan Pom the or winner under the son of Satan. What a transition. How'd you like that, Josh? That was good. Yes. That uh perhaps the most obscure movie that we talked about this season was that can winner. Uh the French film was Gerard Depardieu. Some of the other films in competition at Cannes. Um, this sounds interesting, uh, like a sort of omnibus film called Aria with directors including Robert Altman, Bruce Beresford, Jean-Luc Godard, Derek Jarman, Nicholas Rogue, Ken Russell, and Julian Temple, among others. Either that That's either got to be fantastic or a giant mess, I think. Yeah, like, there, were, um, there were a lot of unique choices at Cannes. Barfly, the Barbet. Schroeder film, which I think could have been a cult classic this year. We had Paul Newman's The Glass Menagerie and Stephen Frears, Prick Up Your Ears. He's a he's a, a great filmmaker. And of course, Wings of Desire by Vin Vendors, who we've talked about a few times on this show. Yeah. And I think that was a, a selection that came up uh, several times in the idea of, uh, you know, whether we could perhaps discuss it because it is such a beloved film and a major film from him. But you refused. You said, no way. I mean, I, as we talked about in our Paris, Texas episode, I think I, maybe I'm not really on Vim Vender's wavelength. And I remember really not liking Wings of Desire when I saw it, but I'd be open to revisiting it if it was, uh, you know, something we were going to do. So next time we do the 1987 season, ask again. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we we get to these bonuses every now and then for past seasons, so it could it could come up. You never know. It could happen, Josh. Let's go to documentaries. Yes, yes. Our documentary pick was Sherman's March from uh, Ross McElwee, which I love, and I was excited to pick. It was one of these things where it, it had this very broad release pattern over the course of several years, and it could or could not have been picked for this year. But I'm glad that we did because I love that movie and Ross McElwee. And talking about it. And Jason, you had a ton of suggestions for this category, including a bunch that I had not heard of. So I don't know if you want to kind of go through some of those that you had suggested here. Yeah, but I'm happy that we did Sherman's March. That movie is awesome. And I'm I'm excited to watch more McElwee movies. I think I watched three or four uh, in preparation for that episode. So um, to me, the biggest one, and is it a documentary? Is it a concert film? Where do you put it? Would have been Eddie Murphy Raw because you know, that's so iconic and impactful and such a major kind of piece of work by a comedian um, that influenced so many other comedians. Um, I also think Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, the rock doc with uh, Chuck Berry and others would have been a good one. And um, yeah, the Charles Bukowski tapes, there's, there is a lot of, um, there's a true crime one called Who Killed Vincent Chin. There's so many movies from documentaries. It was like a really rich time for docs, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot. I just going through the list that you had sent initially. There were a lot of here on here that I had not heard of. We did, of course, talk about a performance film in our documentary episode uh, before when we talked about "Stop Making Sense," the Talking Heads concert movie. So I feel like you know we could at some point perhaps do a stand-up comedy film in this category, and certainly that Eddie Murphy one at a time when now every stand-up comedian has a special that's on streaming or whatever. But at the time. That was a much less common thing, and it was a big deal being released in theaters, I think. And a huge hit. Yes, that too. And speaking of performance films, I know one suggestion that I had added there was Swimming to Cambodia, 
which is Steven Soderbergh's film of uh, Spalding Gray's kind of one man performance. And uh, an another thing where it's, you know, straddles the line between a documentary and something else. But I think those, those two uh, Spalding Gray films that Soderbergh made are, I think, maybe the only two or uh, among the only Soderbergh films that I've never seen. Right. He had a real affinity for Spalding Gray. And um, I think I've watched one of them, but I don't think I watched Swimming to Cambodia. What was the other one that he made? I think it's called Gray's Anatomy. Yeah. I've at least seen clips of that, but I don't know if I've watched the whole thing. We got we to gotta catch up on our Soderbergh one-man show uh, kind of films I here. I've seen the documentary now parody episode on it though. So that's something. I think I've seen that as well. Yeah. So next we had my pick, which was Moonstruck. And that was really like, I, I wasn't really torn on, on what to pick here. I had just seen, as I mentioned in the episode, I had not ever seen it really until last year and just loved it so much that it, it kind of jumped to the top of my list of my favorite movies from 1987. The other possibility that I had down was Hellraiser. Clive Barker's horror film, which of course launched a huge franchise, which I think is really good and really interesting to talk about. But I'm glad that we got to Moonstruck just because I love it so much. Yeah, Moonstruck's great. And uh, it fits right in there with my uh, Christmas movies that aren't Christmas movies. Yeah, that is possible. And also our running theme this season, as we've mentioned, of uh, people's hands being cut off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got to hand it to them, Josh. We do, indeed. Hand it to them because um, he doesn't have a hand in the movie that's so true. why hey josh let's go to foreign films uh we talked about uh alice kiristami's where is the friend's house which i liked more than you and i uh, watched a few more kiristami films as we know he's your favorite filmmaker so you're the expert um one that i fought for was au less in fans but josh you have refused to lift the louis ball band what did this guy ever do to you josh <laughs> Yeah, I, well, you really mangled the title there, uh, Au Revoir Les Enfants, which is a Louis Malle film. That, that I, sounds I think exactly the way I said it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, I believe I watched that like in a French class one time. And Louis Malle has come up a bunch of times as a sort of almost pick. And I'm glad we talked about Abbas Karistami. I mean, he isn't actually my favorite filmmaker, but I did lobby to do that film, even though I was a little disappointed in it. But I think he's a fascinating filmmaker and I love a lot of his movies and we'll get to Louis Malle eventually. And we'll probably get to Lasse Hallstrom as well. Uh, his entry from 1987 was My Life as a Dog. Of course, Josh wants me to pronounce it in the original Swedish. Mm. That was good. Nice. And the other one was Babette's Beast, which is a major, major movie of that year, which uh, we decided not to go with. Did that win Best Foreign Film that year, Josh? I'm going to look right now. It did from Denmark. Gabrielle Axel was the director there. Yeah, I've seen that. And I wasn't, I think I wasn't really crazy about it, but it is a major European film and uh, very uh, food or whenever you have lists of like the best food movies, that's always on there, I think. So I know uh, Jason likes food. I also like film. Yeah. So what else? So it's do a perfect need? combination. I mean, it won uh, best foreign picture. I feel like. Right. No, I'm one. not. I'm not trying to discount. It. I just I have seen it. I remember not really being too into it, but um, it certainly would have been worth talking about. Wings of Desire came up here as well. Also, Red Sorghum, the Zhang Yimou movie. And I think I threw in Dario Argento's opera, which uh, would have been an interesting uh, pick. I don't know if we've done a foreign horror movie for this uh, category yeah. ever. You got to get our Giallo in there at some point. I mean, I guess Cemetery Man was the closest we ever came to that. True, true. That wasn't a foreign film pick, but we did talk about it. Um, and then was your pick, Jason, after that? 
Josh, it was my pick. I think I only really had three choices, one of which was The Princess Bride, which we covered because my deep affinity, my pact with Rob Reiner to make sure he's always covered on this show has mm-hmm. to go forward. Shout out to Rob Reiner, who just uh, released the Albert Brooks documentary, Defending My Life. I'm excited to watch that. Uh, Josh, another pick of mine, as you know, I'm a huge John Hughes fan, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I think will be released before this, right, Dave? Yeah, yeah. So it's already out. So you, so you've already listened to the planes, trains, and automobiles <laughs> special Thanksgiving episode that we recorded. Stuffing that turkey, movie goodness, right up, wrecked them there. Uh, of course, the Cohen brothers. Every time they have a movie come out, we have to at least consider it. And I know a lot of our audience wanted us to do Raising Arizona. Uh, we are in the Cage of Enlightenment. Nick Cage is great come back so i think maybe we'll get to that at some point in the future yeah. i mean it's sort of surprising that we've actually only talked about one coen brothers movie thus far we did an episode on no country for old men and considering how much i think we all love the coen brothers i would imagine we'll get to another one of their films eventually i think the reason is because we all love them so much and there are so many good ones that we're always like oh maybe we should do something else maybe we should do something else here and uh we'll, and we do josh we do something we else. do we do, but I feel like we'll get back to them eventually. I mean, if we've done four Rob Reiner episodes, <laughs> we can do one more Coen Brothers episode. That right? just speaks to what a major figure Rob Reiner is. He is. He is. So uh, we then went to our Sundance Film Festival episode and talked about uh, Lizzie Borden's Working Girls, which was a special jury recognition winner at Sundance that year. We did not talk about either of the grand jury prize winners, Waiting for the Moon or The Trouble with Dick which, as we mentioned in that episode, both uh, kind of lost in obscurity at this point. But we did talk about the Grand Jury Prize documentary winner, which was Sherman's March. And I think that was the reason that we decided we could include it in 1987 because it had won that award at Sundance that year. And uh, another special jury recognition winner that we considered talking about was River's Edge, which, Jason, I know you watched and really liked. I like it. Crispin Glover totally unhinged in that movie in the best possible way. You watched it and said, fuck you to me, Josh. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. I mean, it's an interesting film, and I think it would have been interesting to talk about, especially in the context of of teen movies, which is something that we've brought up a lot on these 1980s seasons and with John Hughes and Chris Columbus and all that. And it's sort of this weird mix of, of that kind of teen bonding and this very bleak murder story. And Crispin Glover is doing something in that movie certainly i'm not sure what it is but it's a very crispin glover thing that he's doing there perhaps he should have got an oscar nomination like all of the potential uh picks for best picture but only one could win josh and that was the last emperor the bertolucci film and i think we uh did a good deep dive on bertolucci maybe this isn't his best or maybe you still have some ill feelings toward manchuco josh the <laughs> yeah country. i wasn't I wasn't into The Last Emperor. Uh, the other Best Picture nominees that year were Fatal Attraction, which we've mentioned, and Moonstruck, which of course we did a whole episode about that. Hope and Glory, which is a film that I am not really familiar with, a John Borman film that seems to have been sort of forgotten. And uh, Broadcast News, which not only was nominated for Best Picture, but I think was the most suggested film from our listeners on social media. And uh, do we want to mention now that we're going to have a special Patreon bonus episode about broadcast news? I don't think we have a choice. You just did it. I did. We, <laughs> could, we could edit that out. But, nah, uh, we'll leave it in. We'll do a right. special bonus broadcast news. 
Holly Hunter, Albert Brooks, William Hurt. And uh, that's a James L. Brooks film. So I'm excited because we haven't really talked about James L. Brooks yet. Yeah. So if you're a Patreon subscriber at the uh, By David Rosen Patreon, where we've got bonus episodes from us, as well as from our, our producer Dave's Piecing It Together podcast and his music, you will be able to check out that broadcast news episode very soon. So we also did a special bonus episode tied to Halloween. And Jason, of course, I know you love the holiday episodes. We talked about uh, The Lost Boys and other options there were Hellraiser, which was one of my potential picks. And I was, you know, kind of hoping for that. But The Lost Boys has a big following and uh, The Monster Squad and Near Dark and uh, Jason, I think you were probably satisfied that we went with The Lost Boys. I think so. I mean, honestly, I have to watch the original Hellraiser, but all those other movies, I don't love Near Dark. Monster Squad does not, it's not very good, Josh. Uh, Lost Boys, at least, you know, we got to sing that crazy song. <laughs> yeah, and I think I haven't seen Monster Squad since I was a kid. And I feel like that's one that's like Lost Boys, where people who saw it, as kids have a lot of nostalgic affection for it, but it probably doesn't hold up if you watch it now. Josh, we're just here to spread holiday joy. So happy Halloween for those of you who celebrated that holiday more than a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then we come to Dave's pick, which was a fait accompli before we even started the show. Oh yeah, absolutely. My favorite movie uh, Evil Dead 2 is always going to be my pick, but uh, I do have a few others. Um, my favorite band, The Cure, uh, had a concert film in 1987, The Cure in Orange, which I think is really hard to find. So not that I was going to pick it anyway, but it would have been hard to get to. Also Spaceballs, but we've done Mel Brooks a few times. Uh, and then a movie I loved when I was a kid. I have not seen it since then, Inner Space. I definitely had that one in mind. And then two movies I hated as a kid, but I also thought about uh, the Garbage Pail Kid movies and Masters of the Universe. So That would be awesome. I loved that Masters of the Universe movie as a kid, and I've seen it numerous times. And it, it is bad, but it definitely has that kind of cult weirdness to it that I think would have been fun to talk about. And a lot of actors who went on to do a bunch of interesting things and and the masters of the universe franchise is is having a huge resurgence right now with like sure. multiple netflix shows which is crazy because it's terrible it really is <laughs> i mean and i say that as someone who had like a ton of masters of the universe action figures as a kid it's me too yeah. yeah yeah master well josh of course it's coming back because he has the power mm, that's yeah. a man thing he, but he uh you know we talk about kevin smith a lot on the show isn't he involved with the the cartoon on netflix now yeah, he mm -hmm. is. Uh, and I think there's, there's, I don't know if he's involved with both because I feel like there's one that's like a continuation of the old cartoon from the 80s. And then there's one that's sort of like a reboot. And I don't know if he's involved with both. But I mean, the fact that the, it can sustain two separate Netflix series, plus they're still trying to make a new live action movie, I mean, is, is, is crazy for something that's so crappy. Is one uh, He-Man centric and the other Shira centric? No, but there was also a She-Ra series that was highly acclaimed. That's a whole, whole separate thing that was on Netflix, I think, in recent years. So uh, it's a lot. I can't keep up. I do remember. I mean, I've seen Masters of the Universe as a kid. I remember one day we were trying to see uh, the Garbage Pail Kids and my dad was going to take us and we drove around. There was like one theater playing it and uh, we drove to the theater and it wasn't. It was a whole wild goose chase. So I never saw it, Josh, but um, it could have fit into our cult classic 
episode, of course, we did with Nail and I, which I'm glad we did. We got our uh, taste of Across the Pond there and one of the most beloved films in Great Britain. John Tolson, excellent guest and uh, kind of gave us some insight onto some of the things we were missing there. And uh, really, whether you like the movie or not, Richard E. Grant, Richard Griffiths, really, really strong performances. So, you know, check it out. Dave had a good suggestion, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which definitely feels in that 1980s softcore vein, which uh, we haven't really covered, but I think that would have been a good one. Angel Heart, a crazy movie that I think has uh, garnered more and more acclaim over the years with De Niro and Lisa Bonet. Prom Night 2, The Miami Connection, another uh, late night Skinamax film. And uh, Hello, Mary Lou. That's Prom Night 2, right, Josh? Yeah, Hello, yeah. Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, I think I threw in there, which I actually watched randomly uh, recently as we were doing this season. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, I don't know if it would have been a really great in-depth episode, but it is a crazy-ass horror movie. And one of these where it's like, they made it, and then after they made it, they're like, we're going to call this Prom Night 2, even though it doesn't really have anything to do with Prom Night 1. And that's always fun when sequels end up like that. And I haven't seen either Hard Ticket to Hawaii or Miami Connection. But I feel like both of those are sort of along the lines of The Room, right? Where they have this cult following because they're so ridiculously bad. And have you seen those, Dave? I've actually never seen them, but I've seen like a hundred podcasts that talk about each of those. Like it's their favorites of bad movie podcasts. Yeah, but I think there's more to it because there's like action and explosion and a bunch of titties. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is that the room was lacking explosions and titties. I mean, that, those are fair criticisms of uh, of the room and many other movies. So, so, so true. Josh, we already talked about the holiday joy that we're spreading uh, uh, with our Thanksgiving episode, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, which leaves us at our audience choice. And there were so many interesting categories we could have gone with. We went with action classics, Lethal Weapon, Predator, RoboCop. We had a great talk about RoboCop. I would have been happy with any of those three. So good job. Some other ideas were uh, Creature Buddies, which I think was a real interesting trend in the 80s, I guess. We had Project X, not the one about the crazy party. Harry and the Hendersons, probably the best known. And the terrible film, Batteries Not Included. Uh, summer fun, summer school, Ernest goes to camp, Harry and the Hendersons again, and Dirty Dancing. I think we got to get to Ernest P. Worrell at some point in time, don't we, Josh? Hell yeah. Do we? Do we, though? I don't yes. know. <laughs> Female musical icons, Back to the Beach with Annette Funicello, also Frankie Avalon, not a female icon, but Annette is. Who's that girl with Madonna? The All-Nighter, Susanna Huffs from the Bangles, and Straight to Hell with Courtney Love. That's a pretty cool one, Josh. Yeah, that's a diverse uh, range of female musical icons that you came up with there. Annette Funicello, Madonna, <laughs> Susanna Hoffs, and Courtney Love. Yeah, um, I don't. Uh, that would have been strange. Any of those? I mean, I remember watching Back to the Beach, but I had never seen those other movies. Have you? No, I have, and I haven't even seen Back to the Beach either. So all, any of those would have been new to me. We, of course, talked about. Um, Masters of the Universe and the Garbage Pail Kids recently, as in a few minutes ago, but they would have fit into our shit we love growing up that became movies category if we had done that with an audience choice. Along with that, we had the Jetsons meet the Flintstones. Yeah, which I guess is that's an animated, uh, but was a theatrical film. I don't really recall that. I remember the Flintstones live action movies that came later in the 90s. And Josh, interestingly, like we had, a, like we're talking about, oh, there weren't that many sequels or this, but there were 
a lot of like kind of quote unquote IP things. Like there was the Dragnet movie, Spaceballs, which was inspired by, of course, Star Wars. We had the Roxanne movie, which was very good. Steve Martin won Cyrano de Bergerac takeoff. Inner Space, which Dave mentioned, Amazon Women on the Moon, and Less Than Zero, the ill-fated Brett Easton Ellis book to film. Yeah, those are a lot of different kinds of adaptations. I don't know how that would have all fit together, but I do think that we went with the right choice there and that the audience made the right choice when we got to talk about RoboCop versus Lethal Weapon or Predator, although I do love Predator and I think that would have been fun. So thank you, of course, to all the people who participated in that audience choice voting on social media, in the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group on Facebook, and on our X uh, slash Twitter account or whatever. And as always, when we announced this season, we asked on those social media platforms for suggestions and favorites of people, uh, of listeners, what movies from 1987 they like. Um, some of those suggestions, uh, Mike Cravat, who is a uh, former guest on the show, brought up Wings of Desire, and he wasn't the only one. And of course, we've mentioned that a bunch. Uh, Matt Stillman suggested Tin Men, which Jason, I think, isn't that a movie that you confused with another movie that we talked about at one no, point? No comment, Josh. Tin <laughs> yeah. Men? No. Tin Men. Was, that was a Barry Levinson film? You're confusing my confusion of Matchstick Men and Bandits, Josh. Ah, okay. Yes. I. I so I, now I, who's really confused? It's we're you. all confused here. But Matt Stillman, not confused, suggested Tin Men. Uh, Joe Cox brought up uh, Wall Street and The Untouchables, which you know is a big box office film, as we mentioned. Uh, John Brogdon suggested Miami Connection. So there's definitely a following for that, uh, as well as Three O'Clock High, which yeah. is like a high school parody of High Noon. Is that right? I mean, they, they remade that a few years ago with Charlie Day and um, Ice Cube, I think, where in the, I've seen Three O'Clock High. I think it's like the high school bully is going to beat up the you know main character at three o'clock. I'm going to meet you after school behind the dumpsters at three o'clock. And then in the remake was the teacher saying, I'm going to kick your ass at three o'clock. Three yeah. o'clock high. It's an interesting film. I haven't seen that. I think I saw the Charlie Day Ice Cube movie, which I forget what the title of that. It's not called Three O'clock High, but it was very was it bad. Fist fight, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was bad. It. it was bad. Yeah, definitely bad. Uh, Jonathan Clark suggested Full Metal Jacket, and I think sure. a few other people did as well. But of course, we've talked about so many Stanley Kubrick movies recently. And he's no Rob Reiner, so we have to limit that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who is Rob Reiner, really? No one is in that level. Uh, Bo Pearson suggested Summer School, La Bamba. Another uh, big mm. one, uh, Less Than Zero, Street Smart, which is not a film I'm familiar with. I think that's uh, uh, Morgan Freeman's debut film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it could be. Uh, Cry Freedom, a Denzel Washington film, and Stakeout, which we mentioned as one of the big box office films of the year. Uh, Paul Hibbard suggested Raising Arizona, as well as a bunch of other people did. Of course, people do love the Coen brothers. And he mentioned Dario Argento's opera. Uh, Craig Cohen suggested The Living Daylights, which is the James Bond film from that year. Of course, we did talk about one James Bond movie in our 1967 season with uh, Sean Connery's, um, was it You Only Live Twice? And uh, Jason's going to sing that, I think, right now. <laughs> you only live twice. I can't ever mention it without that happening. But um, The Living Daylight's one of two uh, Timothy Dalton James Bond movies. And I've never seen uh, the Timothy Dalton Bond movies. So that could have been something. Have you seen those, Jason? Uh, the Timothy Dalton James Bond movies? No, I yeah. have not seen them. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, Craig also suggested Can't Buy Me Love and Nightmare on Elm Street. Three Dream Warriors, which I do like, but we've talked I about. I, 
We talked about New Nightmare, and I feel like we've probably covered the whole Nightmare on Elm Street franchise there. D.W. Lundberg from Nostalgia Cast mentioned Empire of the Sun, the Steven Spielberg movie, which I always confused with The Last Emperor uh, for a long time. But You have a lot I've of seen... confusion this season, Joe. I am super confused, yes. Mm-hmm. Empire of the Sun features a young Christian Bale, and I believe he sings in a, a high voice in that at one point in time. The uh, Steven Spielberg film. I didn't love it. I haven't seen it. It's one of the few Steven Spielberg films I haven't seen, but I now have seen The Last Emperor, so hopefully I won't confuse them anymore. I hope you do. <laughs> My sister, Brandy Bell, brought up uh, one of her favorites, which uh, she forced me to watch multiple times when we were children, The Chipmunk Adventure, which she says is one of the best movies of 1987. And also she said that she thought that you, Jason, would want to do your uh, Alvin impression or impression of uh, Dave, Dave of the chipmunks uh, yelling at Alvin. I don't know if you actually want to do that. I don't, I don't but didn't we mention uh, an actress this season who married... Uh, the a creator chipmunk? of Alvin and the Chipmunks? I think we did, actually, and I can't remember who that was, but I think you're right. So at least we got some Chipmunk content in there. Hey, but Josh, we... how does a younger sister force you to watch a movie over and over again? I think what it is is that it's on the TV, and it's the one TV in the living room in the house, you know, when you're children, and it's like, if you're there, then you have to watch it. And to be fair, I, I kind of liked it. She made me watch yeah. uh, other movies. The Sound of Music was a big favorite of hers that I did not care for as a kid that I think I was subjected to multiple times. You prefer I didn't the, mind the chipmunk adventure. Yeah, you prefer the music of Alvin and the Chipmunks and perhaps the Chipettes as well. I would have been happy to cover that at some point in time. Yeah, I think that does weirdly, uh, of all the sort of pieces of chipmunk media, have kind of a cult following going on. Uh, finally, uh, Ryan Olbrich brought up uh, whose who's, uh, wife, Lynn Camello, was one of our guests uh, in our last season to talk about Switchblade Sisters. Uh, he brought up a few movies that I don't think I've heard of, including Zombie High and Ruskies, uh, as well as Penelope Spheris' Dudes, which, Jason, didn't you watch that? I we did watch about Wayne's World. Yeah, I don't love it, but I know um, based on me not loving it, Joe Black went back and watched it and did love it. So... You know, I feel like that's a successful transformation of power right there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ryan also suggested Cherry 2000, which is a weird sci-fi movie that I have seen. And something that came up when we talked about Lost Boys, which is Surf Nazis Must Die, because uh, the surf Nazis are in the Lost Boys, but not really related to that film. That's right. I mean, we've mentioned so many movies this season that we, you know, that weren't just mentioned. Baby Boom, Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, probably Dave would have liked Overboard a lot, I think. Um, let's see what else. A Light of Day, the uh, rock the rock and roll movie there, Josh. And um, yeah, some kind of wonderful because you can't... Uh, John Hughes had a, a movie he directed and one that he wrote that year. Yeah, we can't escape John Hughes. So Radio uh, think- Days, Jocks. There's a lot of interesting films to this year. Yeah, Radio Days is a favorite of mine, actually. Uh, one of my favorite Woody Allen films. But I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember really liking that when I first saw it. So uh, thanks again to everyone who submitted suggestions, uh, including people that, uh, that I didn't get to. A lot of, uh, you know, repeat suggestions for movies like Broadcast News and Full Metal Jacket that people were interested. So hopefully anybody who suggested those, uh, check out our Broadcast News episode coming up. 
Uh, I did want to issue two more corrections because I feel yes. like as I corrected you, Jason, I must correct myself. Oh, I thought um, it was another thing I messed up, which I would have been happy to hear about. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not that I recall, but I wanted to catch myself. I can't even remember which episodes these were in, but at one point I was uh, dismissing Washington Post film critic Paul Atznazio by uh, mocking his, uh, his writing of the shooter the uh, book that was adapted into the Mark Wahlberg film, but I was wrong about that. It is, in fact, a different Washington Post film critic, Stephen Hunter, who wrote the novel that Shooter is based on, as well as a whole series of books about that character that Mark Wahlberg plays in that film. So apologies to Paul Adonazio for confusing you with Stephen Hunter, and apologies to my high school teacher, Mrs. Richmond, who I called Mrs. Richardson. And really, I mean, that come was on, unforgivable. Dude. Yeah, that's that's way worse. You've spent wow. a year with that person. And she was a wonderful teacher. And I was mentioning in whatever episode that was, the great class that I took on horror fiction with her called The Mad, The Possessed, and The Dead, which was one of my favorite high school experiences. So thank you, Mrs. Richmond, for that. And uh, that's all. In, in Josh's defense, uh, uh, Mr. Richardson was the dean of our high school. So I could see how he got Yeah, he was the up. principal, not the dean, I don't think. I mean, whatever, dude. Do you really want to fight very about that? We have poor memories here of our high school experience, I think. <laughs> You're both I think better a than dean me, and I'll a tell principal you that. Much. Are pretty much the same thing. Aren't there? I don't think they actually are. I think there's a. a, a anyway, this is not important. But uh, no, Josh, it's not. I think I think that's going to wrap up the epilogue here on 1987. <laughs> and uh, if you have any more suggestions, or if we missed some of your favorites. Check us out uh, online and social media and tell us what you think about 1987's films. Awesomemovieyear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on the thing that's still a thing, I guess. Uh, I'm Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy. And find me at uh, Go for Jason on Letterboxd. Make sure when you're watching these hot flicks, you tag Awesome Movie Year on the Letterboxd. Yeah, we'd love to see uh, what you have to say about any of the movies that we've talked about. So, uh, do that if you're on Letterboxd. You can find some old stuff from me at joshbellhateseverything.com. I am at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at Signalbleed on X, Twitter, also on Blue Sky if you're on there and on Letterboxd. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod and check me out on Letterboxd uh, by David Rosen. And uh, Jason, what are we doing in our next episodes? I know you're excited because you love the holidays. It's ho-ho holiday fun for us, Josh. We have a couple of Christmas films for you, uh, including one that you picked. What was that one, Josh? That's uh, the horror movie Christmas Evil. We're going to return to our 1980 season to talk about that. And we're finally getting to some anime with Tokyo Godfathers. So tune in next time for Christmas Evil. Have a happy holiday. And wait, Josh, there's more. Wait, Josh, wait, wait, Josh, there's more. Should we also reveal what season we're doing starting in the new year? I think we should. So after Christmas, Jason, what are we then going to do for our brand new season? We often discuss what the greatest year of film is ever. And we've covered a few of those, 1975, 2007. Josh, we're going to the OG of what people say is the greatest film year ever. That's 1939, all hitters, baby. 
Yeah, I'm excited. I am always really eager to look further back in film history and we can decide maybe whether this is really the awesomest movie year. So check that out in the new year. But in the meantime, tune in next time for Christmas Evil. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.